alone. And, and the, you know, the, the bad guys, what is it, Marv and Harry or whatever, you know, they're coming in to try to, to steal what doesn't belong to them. And so Kevin, even though he's just a little guy, he absolutely guards that house because it's his family's and he's not going to let intruders come in and steal and, and take the things away that don't belong to them. And, you know, it's a silly movie and there's all types of funny things in it. But, the, but there's a lot of truth there. I wish Christians would be that adamant against the devil when it comes to guarding their home. Because a, a lot of times the devil is right there trying to get in and Christians, they don't do anything about it. They just sit there and let them come in and bring strife and bring chaos and fear and confusion and anger and all this crazy stuff. And they don't do anything about it at all. I wish we could get as serious as we need to be about guarding our home against the enemy. Because you do know this, that we have an enemy, right? He's real. If you don't believe the devil's real, just wait. You know, you'll find out. The devil is real, and he wants to come and destroy our homes. Am I afraid? No, because I know what to do to guard my home from the enemy. And so let's go ahead and pray tonight, and we're going to get into the Word of God and and see what, what the Scriptures tell us about how we can effectively guard our home. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, that we have a family uh, here at church to surround ourselves with. And we also thank you for our families at home that we're surrounded with. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we open up the word of God tonight, you're going to speak to each one of us. Show us areas that we can improve in, Lord, and encourage us to do the right thing and make the right choices that it takes to guard our homes from the enemy coming in and making this Christmas season anything less than beautiful and perfect and what you want it to be. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, right? So point number one is this. We're going to get to some good stuff. But number one is this, is that Satan wants to attack your home. Satan wants to attack your home. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not the head of this household. I'm not the, you know, listen, was little Kevin the head of that household? No, but he didn't, wasn't going to let the enemies come in and attack the home. So let's look at an extremely familiar verse to all of you people. That's John 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. I would probably wager that at least 50% of you could quote this verse to me. Maybe higher the percentage than that. But John 10, verse 10. Now, we know it very well in the King James. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and give life more abundantly. Well, I'm going to read it right here in the New Living Translation tonight. John chapter 10, verse 10. It says pretty much the same thing, but listen. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Given the choice between those two lists there, stealing, killing, and destroying, Rich and satisfying life. Which one do you think you want? Hello, I want the rich and satisfying life. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. But listen, it says right here, the thief. There's a thief. It's the devil. His purpose, his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so many times people, something bad happens in their life. They're like, well, was this, well, maybe this was God that brought this to kind of teach me something. Maybe God kind of let this happen. Maybe God did this in my life to, to teach me a lesson. And you have got to get past that. You have got to get to the place where you stop accusing God of stealing, killing, and destroying your life. That's a slap in the face to the Almighty. God does not steal, kill, and destroy from his children. He brings rich and satisfying life Life more abundantly. And so if there's anything in your life that is stealing, 
killing or destroying an area of your life, that is the devil. That's the thief coming to try and, and wreak havoc in your life. That is not God. That is not God. And we've got to get a hold of that. And I mean, I know maybe you've heard that a thousand times, but you have got to get the revelation of this in your heart. That Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to bring a satisfying, a rich life. And so, this is the devil's purpose. That's all this guy does, is steal, kill, and destroy. And he does not play fair. You think the devil feels bad for you because it's Christmas time? And he's like, well, I'll take the holidays off this year. The devil doesn't celebrate Christmas. He wants to come in and make it hell on earth for you. He's not going to take it off. He's going to work extra hard. He's going to work overtime to try to bring division and destruction into your house. And so I, 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 I've got this devotion that I read every day. And you guys, you should get this devotion. I will tell you that you should get the faith-to-faith devotion from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. It is the best devotion in the world. I read it every single morning. And it, it's great. We, we need to get some more in the bookstore. We, we sell out of them super quick when we get them. But... Faith-to-faith devotion by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Best thing ever. But, um, but there's this quote that Gloria Copeland said in here. I was reading the other day. She said, spiritually speaking, your family's under attack. Okay, we all know that. But she said, you see, it is not only one of your most precious gifts. When your family is operating in harmony, it's one of your most powerful resources. Satan knows that, even if you don't, and he's out to destroy it. And so your family, it's not just one of your most precious gifts. It's one of the best resources and, and weapons that God has given to you. Your family is a resource and a tool and a weapon for you to use against Satan's kingdom. There is there's hardly anything in this world better and more powerful. You know, we know the word of God, but I'm getting to this. Than a Christian family in unity, teamed up, working for God together, that is a force to be reckoned with. That is an impenetrable wall when you've got a mom and a dad and some kids that are serving God together and they're in harmony, they're united, and they're walking in love, look out. That is an absolute nightmare to Satan. Absolute nightmare to the devil when you've got a Christian family getting along not fighting, working together to advance the gospel, my Lord, that right there is an absolute nightmare to Satan. And so, yes, it is true. Families are under attack in this day and age. Satan is absolutely working overtime to destroy families. And, and, you know, we, we see this. We talk, you know, we talk about sometimes the divorce rate in this, in this country. Over half of the marriages end in divorce. That's awful. You know, the state of California in 1970 did one of the dumbest things, even dumber than some of the most recent laws we passed. But anyway, in 1970, they introduced the no-fault divorce law. Well, I mean, you just, I don't love them anymore. I don't love them. So, yeah, it's over with. And, and pretty soon, 49 other states picked up onto that. Well, yeah, you know, no-fault divorce. And you, and you think, well, that's a good thing. No, that's awful. Absolutely terrible. Since then, the divorce rate in the United States has, boom, skyrocketed into an ungodly percentage. And I used to hear this stat all the time that, well, the divorce rate in the church is just as high, maybe slightly higher. But I've, uh, uh, there's another... Uh, 
awesome, awesome research team that came out with a study after several years. I just read this last year, and there's absolutely zero truth to that. The divorce rate amongst active church-going marriages, not people that stay their Christian because they celebrate Christmas, people that literally go to church every week, that divorce rate plummets. I forget what the percentage is, but it's like 5% or something, insanely low. Families that actually go to church together, husband and wife and children, church together, that divorce rate is microscopic compared to what the national average is. Is that just a coincidence that the people that barely get divorced are... Have, no! There's a reason for it. Because when a family... I'm gonna, I'll probably say this a thousand times tonight. A family that's walking in love and united, mommy and daddy and children... Serving God together, that is an absolute force to be reckoned with. And it'll, going to church as a family, serving God together as a family is the absolute number one best thing that you can do to keep your house together and your family together. Let me show you something here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's flip over there. Ephesians 6. So as if you didn't need another reason to love God and come to church... At least for the sake of your family, there's another brilliant reason to come to church. Families that go to church are undeniably, unequivocally, thousands of times stronger than families that don't. And I have absolutely, I don't feel bad saying that at all. It's the absolute truth. Families that go to church together, mom and dad, church together, look out, man, look out. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. If you're familiar with Ephesians 6, we first of all, talks about families, the, the first few verses, but then it talks about the armor of God. So Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. The devil, he's strategic, man. He's got a lot of ways that he'd like to come in. He's, he is a real enemy. An absolute real enemy. He's got strategies. He'll, if he can't get you to trip up over here, he'll distract you over here and then go in for the kill. Just all these crazy things. But look at this. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And did you notice that verse 12 there, it says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies? This is something that you also have to get a revelation of. Because the majority of people that, you know, that call themselves Christians, they think that their problems are other people. They literally think, oh, that guy, he's my enemy. That, that guy, we're good. he's an enemy, can't stand him, don't like him. And it says right here, you're not fighting against a flesh and blood enemy. You're fighting against evil spirits. You're fighting against the devil. Now, can he brilliantly work through some people to come in and, yeah. Absolutely. Especially someone that's not saved and submitted to God. He can come in and, and use them to, to try to bring bad things into your life. Absolutely he can do that. But you've got to be able to look past that and see the root of the issue. If you think people are your problem, you're going to have a long, miserable life because people are always going to be there and you're always going to be mad at them. You're always going to be annoyed with them and you're always going to be fighting with them. Always until the day that you die if you don't realize that... You are not fighting against a flesh and blood enemy. We're fighting against the devil. 
And that's where the Bible has guaranteed us victory. It says nothing about guaranteeing you victory if you're fighting against other people. If, you're, if you want to fight a fleshly battle, good luck. You're on your own. God's not in that. You go, hope, good luck. I hope you win it, but you probably won't. But if you can get to this place where you're saying, you know, I'm not fighting this guy. I'm going after the devil. There was this guy I worked with at, at FedEx when I, right after I graduated high school. And, man, this guy, every day, he, he every day just loved to give me a hard time. He thought it was hilarious that I was, I went to church, you know, this Bible thumper goes to church three times a week. Thought it was hilarious that I was getting married and I hadn't had sex with this girl, hadn't lived with her. And, I mean, thought that was just the funniest thing in the world. And, and just, man, made fun of me every day in front of everybody. And after a while, I'm like, man, you know, this is starting to get annoying. I just want to go in there and scan these boxes, chuck it onto the airplane and go home. But this guy every day is picking on me. So I just started starting to get mad at him and annoyed. And then one day I'm, I'm driving to work and it just hits me. Man. John's not my problem. It's the devil that's coming in and trying to just snuff out my light because I'm witnessing to people all over the place. There's like 6,000 people that work at this hub. This is a ripe mission field to just go in and, and preach, man. And so, you know, I, was, I had a lot of opportunities, but when this guy dampens your day and rains on your parade, now you're in a bad mood, then you don't want to witness to anybody. You're just trying to survive. And so I finally realized he's not the issue. This, is, this, this guy is not my problem. I'm going after the devil, and he's going to pay for this. And so every day on my way to work, man, I'd bind the devil from working through this guy. I, every day. And I swear to you, the very first day I did that changed everything. This guy became like my best friend. He loved me. And, and he, I, I had a great relationship with him, and I was able to witness to him and all this stuff, and it worked out great. But if I just got mad at him and I came up with some plan and strategy about how I could get back at him, None of that would have ever happened. I would have been miserable every day. But when I saw through that and saw to where the real problem was, it was the devil. When I quit fighting flesh and I went after a spiritual enemy, it changed everything. You've got to get a hold of that. People are not your problem. The devil's the one that's trying to come in and attack your family. And so he will use anything he can to attack your family. Now, we don't want to give a lot of credit to the enemy, but he is fairly smart in some ways. He, he realizes how he can come in and tear down a family or tear down a society. And so if I was going to attack a society, if I wanted to come in and cripple a Christian society, I would go after the families. Seriously. And, you know, America's been a Christian nation for, you know, several hundred years now. And if you, it doesn't take a, a genius to realize that around the same time that we started kicking God out of schools and out of families and, you know, just divorce this one, it doesn't matter, and, and you just whatever, do whatever feels good. Whenever we started tearing down the family in the United States, things very quickly started going south. And now, I mean, let's not even talk about 2016, the absolute horrific mess that the American families are in. And, and, you know, we're going to get uplifting here in a minute, but let's just get real. Trying to redefine what a family is? Trying to, I mean, God laid out in the Bible what a Christian family looks like. And we're not trying to make anybody feel bad at all, but if you're so blind that you can't see this, then I, I feel sorry for you. That God laid out a man and a woman, they fall in love, they marry each other, then they have children, and then they raise those children in church, and, and they work hard, and they serve God together. It's worked brilliantly for thousands of years. 
thousands of years, this system has worked. And now we're so advanced and so smart and so sophisticated and so educated and so beyond all that that we know better now. And now that we've redefined it and let anybody and anything marry each other and, and do anything they want to do, look at the absolute disaster that this is causing our, our nation and, and our children. They're confused. They have no idea. It's a mess. And I'm telling you that this is an attack from the devil on our society. And the more that you cripple the Christian family, the, the, the worse shape that a society and a nation will be in. And the devil is doing it, and he's doing it very well. And Christians are so blinded at this point that they're saying, well, well I don't know. I agree with that. That, that should be fine. People should be able to do that. I, I, don't, I don't care. I mean, it's not hurting. Yes, it's hurting you. It's hurting your children, and it's hurting our nation. And is that some political rant? Absolutely not. That's somebody that can look at the Bible and say, man, God said this way, and it worked for thousands of years. We're smarter than God now, so we'll do it another way, and it cripples our nation and our society. No. When the United States is strong, again, this is not political. So if you you think that's this, then just, just ignore that. But listen to me. When the United States is strong, and when Christian families are strong, the U.S. is strong, it's better for this entire world. This nation sends out more missionaries than any country has ever done before. The United States prints up more Bibles. It sends out more preachers. It does more work of the gospel than any nation in the history of the world. Even today with the shape that our country is in, the United States is the number one spreader of the gospel in the entire world. No nation has ever done what the United States has done to get the gospel to every part of the world. We print Bibles. We send money. We send missionaries. We send prayers. All this stuff... And Satan is trying to break it down by cracking down the American family. And so I'm just like Joshua, man. Joshua 24:15. He said, I don't know about the rest of you. Okay, if you want to serve the gods of the Amorites who used to live in their land, or you want to serve the gods of these people over here, you do what you want to do. I can't speak for you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord whether nobody else does. My family will... I'm still staying with my wife. I'm still taking these... Four kids to church three, four, five times a week every day. If we have church every day, my family will be in here serving God. And my children will not think that it's a torture, that it's punishment, that it's a bad thing, that there's something better to do. No. They will realize that this is the best thing I could possibly give them. is a foundation of God Almighty. And I've been, I mean, I've been to church a lot more than probably anybody that you know. And I don't say that braggingly. I'm just saying we used to have five or six church services every week. And I was at every single one. Do I regret it? Do I, did I get robbed of getting to go, you know, go out and, and play in the basketball league on Sundays? No. I didn't miss a thing. And I'll tell you what, all my, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, I see them now. And I, I feel very bad for them. It did not turn out well. Because it wasn't that big of a priority to their parents to keep them in church. They're just keeping it real. Their families are, are split apart. I've got friends my age that have already, you know, been divorced twice, you know, and all this stuff. And that, that I just, I feel bad for that. That wasn't God's plan for them. But listen to me. Keep your family protected. Satan would love to come and split up your home. He would love to break down your family. Don't let him. 
And he will use this time of year to try to come in and do it. And so a family functioning in harmony is unstoppable. And and Kenneth Copeland said this, living in a home filled with the love and the peace of God himself is almost like living in heaven right here on earth. And I believe that, man. There is nothing in this world better than living in a home that is filled with the peace and the love and the joy of God. There's nothing. Money cannot buy that. Nothing in this world is better than going back to your home being your paradise, your home being your sanctuary, your refuge from the rest of this world, being able to go home to your wife or you know, your, husband, your kids and, and, and be able to live in this harmonious, peaceful atmosphere. That's the closest thing in this world that there is to heaven. And, and that's what God wants and that's what your household should be like. And we know, man, you got kids, it can get chaotic. I get that. If anybody gets that, it's me. I get that. Okay? But listen, that's not going to steal my joy. That's not, this is what, this is the blessing of God that he has for us. And so, number one, Satan, he's trying to attack your family. But number two, you've got to stop him. Don't let him do it. Stop him. He wants to do this. But I'm telling you, if somebody was trying to break into my home, if somebody, you know, I open the door and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to rob you. Just could you scoot out of the way and let me start taking your stuff? You think I'm going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, let me get, yeah, come on in. Just go ahead. I mean, I wish you wouldn't, but you sh- yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. I'm not, no, man, I would, I would come out swinging. I'd dive at him. I'd get Isaac and, and throw Isaac out there. And Isaac would, you know, it's <laughs> the best weapon we've got in my house, but... You know, Isaac could come out there and chop him or something. I don't know. But I wouldn't just roll over and play dead and let the enemy come in and steal all this stuff that I've worked so hard for. Man, you know what? You know, you've worked years to get to where you're at. Not just your possessions, but your family, your marriage, your, your kids, your, the, the Christian atmosphere in your home. It's taken years to get there. Why would you just let the enemy come in and steal what you've worked so hard for, what you've sacrificed for, what you've dreamed of, what you're living, man? Don't let him take it from you. Put up a fight. Stop him. And the biggest way to stop the devil from stealing from your home is to walk in love. I don't know about that one, Pastor. Sounds kind of sissy. Listen to me. Yeah. We talked about this this morning. The, the best defense against the devil is to walk in love. Forgive, forgive, forgive. You know, maybe you're like Peter, like, well, I don't know. Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone that offends me, Jesus? Seven times? Jesus, no, man, not 70 times seven. Keep on forgiving, not seven times. You've got to keep on forgiving and walking in love if you want your faith to work. Now, Ephesians 4.32, it tells us that we're, uh, we're told that we're supposed to forgive the same way that God forgave us. It says, forgive others the same way that you've been forgiven. Well, how is it that we've been forgiven? Oh, good question. Good question. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 25. Let's flip over there to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. So are, are, we, are we making any sense? Are we getting anywhere tonight? All right. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. And I'm telling you, I absolutely want to see this church full of strong, strong Christian families. Moms and dads and kids serving God. 
We are a family church equipping God's people for victorious Christian living. But Isaiah 43, verse 25, and this is the example of how God forgives. Isaiah 43, 25, he says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. I will remember them no more. He says, I'll forgive you. I will erase your sins and I will remember them no more. I will not think of them ever again. So the New Testament says, forgive as God forgave you. And then God says, when I forgive you, I forget about it. I don't bring it up anymore. And so if there's ever a time in your life when all of your past mistakes are coming up to you, you keep thinking about all the things that you've done. And, Man, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, gosh, I, I shouldn't have. And, and it's something that you've asked for forgiveness for, you have repented of. Listen, that is not God bringing that up to you. He doesn't even remember it happened. You know what I mean? You could, you could come up to God. If there's something that you genuinely repented of, repenting means to, to confess it and then quit doing it. Okay? So you quit doing it. That's repenting. It's turning around and going the other way from what it was. You've, you have genuinely repented of it and you're not doing it anymore. God's not going to remember. You can come up and say, God, remember that one time, you know, back in 2012 when I did this? Huh? What are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't remember that at all. Because when he forgives, he forgets. And so that, we all like that, right? I love that. I love that about God. But we've got to forgive other people that way. It's wrong of us to come up to our family and, and people and bring up their past mistakes. Say, yeah, I remember, you know, I remember Christmas of 2010, what you did. You nearly ruined it. I remember you, you were a jerk to everybody. Why would you bring that up? Why would you do that? That's ungodly. That's wrong. And that's not fair. Because that's not what God does to you. And we're supposed to forgive others just like he's forgiven us. And, you know, I, I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Here's, I mean, the story of Joseph is incredible. His brothers sell him as a slave. We all know this. Then he gets wrongfully thrown into prison and, and blah, 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 blah. This is in Genesis. But you know, all this stuff going on. And then, as we all know the story, there's a famine and his brothers have to come to him for food. He's second in command. He's the vice president of Egypt. And he's in charge of the food distribution. And then all of these brothers that sold him as a slave... They've got to come and bow down and ask him for food. Talk about poetic justice. If there was ever a time that you could totally pay back somebody for what they deserve, this is perfectly set up to absolutely ruin their lives and get sweet revenge on people that totally deserve it. But Joseph didn't do that, did he? No. Joseph forgave these guys that nearly ruined his life. They stole what could have been some of the best years of his life. It's slavery, imprisonment, and all this stuff. They stole years of his life. They deserved, in their time of need, to have this brother turn his back on them. And, I mean, throw them in jail or something. But he didn't do it. He forgave them. And guess what? It restored that family of 12 sons, Jacob's sons. And from that, we get... The nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the strongest, I mean, the, uh, it restored a family. It restored a family, and to this day, the earth is blessed because of this. To this day, the nation of Israel, Jacob, is, is, is what it is because Joseph 
forgave and brought this family back together when these brothers did not deserve it. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. Thank God we don't always get what we deserve. Amen? That's the mercy of God, that you don't get what you deserve. Sometimes we deserve total punishment, total judgment, but God's, God doesn't do it. That's the mercy and grace of God. So you've been forgiven. You've got to forgive others. You can't keep holding people's past and their mistakes above them. And, you know, as a family, you, you know a lot about your family. They know a lot about you. They grew up with you. They know you. They know what you've done. Listen, they know it, and you know about them. But we've got to love our families. We've got to forgive them. We can't bring up the things that they've done in the past. You know, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, my family. I, there's so many of us, eight kids in the family, and it, I just think about the things that we've been through. When the family's getting along, man, there's no greater fighting force than that, than a, a family working together. And I was thinking about some of the stuff, you know, in families, you've got to forgive each other and, and you've got to let it go. This one time, um, me and Josh, okay, the story about me and Josh. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but little boys, they do really stupid things. Has anyone else ever, you got little boy? I mean, the stuff that we think, and it, it even goes into adulthood. Sometimes guys do really, we know, well, remember last year, earlier this year, we had a table up here with a ladder, and then another ladder on top of that so we could change a, a I mean, how dumb was that? I'm looking back, at the time it seemed like, yeah, that's a really great idea. But now looking back, and I'm like, man, what were we thinking? Anyway, thank God nobody died. I'll edit this before it goes on the internet, so we're not going to get in trouble. Anyway, so me and Josh, you know, we were having this wrestling match one day on top of the entertainment center. I have no idea why, but it seemed like a really great idea. You remember back in the 90s, we had these big entertainment centers. You put Your TV was about this wide. Not the screen, just the back end. I don't even know what all that was. But, I mean, those TVs weighed like 400 pounds. Now you have a TV that's like 85 inches and it weighs a pound. You put it under your arm and it's like... So... Anyway, so we're wrestling up there. Josh knocks me off, and I, I'm not wearing a shirt. I'm probably in my whitey tidies or something. And the edge of it, I scrape all the way down. And I've just got, I mean, just this cut and this blood everywhere. It's awful. And so he doesn't want to get spanked by mom. Dad's at work. And so he's like, hey, it's okay. I'll take care of it. Follow me. I, I got you. I'll take care of it. Don't cry. Don't cry. And so what he did next changed my life nearly forever. He gets into the cabinet and grabs out a bottle of rubbing alcohol. <laughs> Stand still. Pours it down my back into the open wound. And I mean, if you've never heard it, I screamed so loud that the whole neighborhood thought a murder had taken place in that house. I mean, ah! I'm screaming. And I just remember his face like, Oh, dear God. <laughs> and so I don't know where Josh is at this moment. But anyway, I forgive him. I apparently haven't forgotten about it. But I, I do forgive him. It's really hard to forget when somebody pours rubbing alcohol into an open wound. So, uh, that you know, but families, we know a lot about each other. We, we, this one time, I, I, had, I collected like uh, Wheaties boxes and Cracker Jacks. You know, eventually they're worth a lot of money. And so I've got this, this old box of Cracker Jacks from a long time ago. It's up on this shelf in my room. I come home from basketball practice to find my little brother, Joe, sitting there, popping the last Cracker Jack into his mouth. 
oh, one word described my, my mood at that time, angry. And so, yeah, I went off on Joe, and, but I forgave him. And then about a year later, I get married to Katie, and I'm coming home for my birthday one day. She had made me a cheesecake. Joe gets into my house, into my refrigerator, and eats the entire cheesecake for my birthday. Yeah. So, listen, you're talking to a guy here that knows what it means to forgive your family. We're working on the forgetting part, as I mentioned earlier. But, you know, listen, the devil can come in and use any of these little things to try to to, to trip up your family and ruin your holiday season. And so the best thing that you can do is to stop him is to walk in love. Walk in love. And so we're in the Old Testament. I want to show you one other Old Testament verse before we finish on our third point. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Of course, this is written by King Solomon. And here's a guy that knew about families. He had a couple thousand wives. So, you know, he, Yes, uh, I mean, wow. Bible calls him the wisest man to ever live. But even wise people can make bad decisions sometimes. So, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And he says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And this is talking about, I mean, a, a, a Christian husband and wife, man and woman getting married. It says, two are better than one. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, but three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so what's this triple braided cord? We're talking about a husband and a wife and God in the middle. You put these three things together, you've got a triple braided cord. It is really hard to break that. It's really hard. And so for us as Christian families, husband and wife with God in the middle, you're going to stop the enemy, man. He's going to come in and yank at you. He's going to try everything. But a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is the plan of God, to have a married husband and wife that are mom and dad, and to have God right in the middle. This is a triple braided cord, and God is all over this, man. He will bless this. He will use you. This is a gift from God to have your family. And so the last thing we're going to say is this, number three. So number one, Satan's trying to attack your family. Number two, you've got to stop him. But number three, we're not just talking about playing defense. I'm going to say go ahead and attack him. You know, it's great to play defense and not just take any hits, just you know, blocking yourself all the time. But you're not gaining any ground until you attack the enemy yourself. It's great if you're you know, playing basketball and you stop them from scoring any baskets. But if you don't score at all either, then you don't win. You know what I mean? A zero-to-zero tie, it's one thing, but you've got to score some points here. And so you've got to not just stop the enemy from attacking you. You've got to turn around and chase him down and attack him. And so uh, I wanted to show you one other verse here. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke 10, verse 19. And this is absolutely a powerful, powerful Bible verse. You've got to get this. Luke 10, verse 19. Luke 10, verse 19. 
it says this, Jesus himself speaking, he says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You've got authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. And so you've got, a, you've got this authority from God to have access to his power. You've got to use it against the enemy. And you just write this verse down, Ephesians uh, 6, 17. We're going to turn that, but Ephesians 6, 17, it says you've got to take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. And so Ephesians 6 tells us what the armor of God is. It tells you all these things for your defense. You have the helmet of salvation, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the shoes, the gospel of peace. You've got all this stuff. But then at the end of that list, it says, but you've got to take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your offensive weapon in attacking the devil is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon at list is the Word of God. Well, how, how do you use that against the devil? Well, first of all, you've got to open it up and read it and get it down in your heart. That's step number one. But then you can speak it against him, man. You can speak the Word of God against the devil, you just, but you've got to know it. You can't use it if you don't know it. If you don't have it, if it just sits on the shelf and you never use it, you have got to use the Word of God as your offensive weapon against the devil. And so you've got to get some verses down, man. I've got this, this uh, spiral-bound 3 by 5 note cards that I've just written all these Bible verses on. I sit there in my chair with my coffee before everyone gets up, just quoting these verses, speaking them out loud, laughing at the devil, man. And before, before the day even starts... I am swinging the sword against the devil. I'm speaking the word of God against him, and I'm doing something about it. You've got to do that, man. If you want to have a successful life, if you want to have a blessed family, you've got to use the weapon that you've been given. Your weapon is the word of God. And so get some verses to speak. I say this all the time. Get some verses to speak. And if you want to have a good Christmas season this year, you've got to protect the home front. You've got to protect it. The devil's going to try to attack. You stop him, and you attack back, and you do something about it. And I'm telling you, man, my family, we're going to be serving God. We're going to be in here. We're going to be doing everything that he has said to do. Come hell or high water, as the saying goes, we're serving God, whether nobody else in this country does. We're serving God, and I don't care if it's popular or not. These kids are going to grow up in the ways of God. They're going to be productive, godly citizens. They're going to, I pray over them all the time, that they're going to marry the right person on the first try. And they're going to raise godly kids. They're going to be awesome, wonderful, godly people. They'll never walk away from God, not for one day of their lives. That's what it's going to be. And that's what I'm claiming in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and call it quits there tonight. We'll go ahead and stand up together. Amen. Amen. Protecting the home.